working on a new book very, very slowly. I, I want to write a book on uh, sitcom structure. Ah, nice. But going very slowly. Please finish that soon. I would like to read that. It's not going to be any time soon. <laughs> not going to be any time soon. Shoot, maybe after my maybe, maybe by the career. time that you are you are famous and running writing room, <laughs> I'll come to you uh, for some of the research. I read your book recently, The Hidden Tools of Comedy, and I thought it was uh, a life changer. Oh, and so oh. I thought it. <laughs> I, I, I thought hope, I would. Hope uh, that you mean that only in a good way, not like now I'm going to drink myself to death. <laughs> that would that would be bad. Well, it actually made me realize. So I mean, I've always thought of myself as a funny guy, and maybe that's my first problem. But uh, like writing comedy has been very difficult for me, and so I thought, you know, I need to consult the experts, read as much as I can, research. And your book was actually one of the first books that I came across. And um, I don't know, I thought it was very, like I said, it was a life changer, it really like sort of honed me in on like the tools of comedy. Um, first realizing that, uh, that there actually are tools of comedy. I didn't actually think that there were. And so, I mean, I think well, that's there, probably- there's, there's, there's actually a lot more than just those. Those are the ones that I thought were, were not covered. Um, uh, there's actually uh, a, a book by John Vorhaus uh, called uh, The Comedy Toolbox, in which okay. uh, he recounts uh, a number of very well-known um, approaches to creating uh, verbal and, and written comedy. So I, I, tried, okay. I thought what I was trying to do was try to cover the stuff that, that is... Uh, either overlooked or not thought about or thought like, well, you know, this is, this is, this would be too simple. So, so. Okay. Uh, so I've heard, uh, you know, I read your book and I've heard you talk with um, uh, Scott Dickers on how you got involved in comedy, but if you could, uh, you know, maybe like paraphrase a little bit and tell me how you've got, how you got involved with uh, comedy. I know it's pretty, I think it's quite difficult and or quite different than how I got involved in comedy, but um, I think it's pretty, it's worthwhile. Well, you were, so, you weren't chased home uh, from school as a kid yeah. <laughs> by, uh, by, by bigger Italian kids who wanted to beat you up every day. Exactly. I was uh, a kind of a, a needy attention seeking dork. Um, and I found that, uh, since I had very little uh, outlets for approval in other areas, that if I could say something in a certain way, that I could get an entire class to laugh. Uh, sometimes they were just laughing at me, not with me, um, but it was a, a very powerful drug, I found. Um, yeah. and, and of course, like, like all uh, uh, class clowns, uh, my rate of success was very, very low. You know, the percentage of things I said that made everybody laugh versus the percentage of things I said, which made people go, what, what the hell is he talking about? Um, and so I just became uh, addicted to that and I became fascinated with people who could make people laugh. Um, mm. And uh, I mean, one of my earliest memories uh, cringeworthy memories is 
Uh, I'm at a, uh, a dance at a Jewish center. And I must mm. be 12, you know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. And the, they have this band, you know, who's doing basically, you know, cover, uh, cover songs of, of various rock songs. And they ask for, uh, they ask for, um, does anybody have a suggestion for a song for us to play? And I go up there and I say, could you, do you know, uh, thanks for the memory? Because I loved Bob Hope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the road movies. <laughs> and they looked at me like I was fucking insane and and i have to admit that i probably was um but but that's uh that's that's part of it and then uh, i was uh i was cast in a play in ninth grade and i had this cool uh i had this exit where i you know i threw myself off stage into a bunch of chairs because i was supposed to be in the play i was supposed to have tripped over uh uh, uh, stone and, and broken something. So <laughs> all I remember is uh, I did this exit and uh, I got exit applause and laughter. Mm. And if I was addicted before, then <laughs> I was truly addicted. So uh, I, I thought that I was going to be an actor. Uh, mm. And I thought that that's that that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a star. I wanted to be like Jack Weston, who you may not know, is a great character actor, a uh, big fat guy who um, yeah. dozens of movies. And, but it turned out that uh, that even though I had an appreciation for comedy, I didn't have quite as much talent for performing as I thought I did. <laughs> um, so I, I went to college and I got out of college and it turned out that my skill was basically uh, being behind the scenes, behind the camera. Uh, so I became a director. Mm. And when I got the opportunity, uh, a theater director, and when I got the opportunity, a couple of uh, friends of mine um, who were actors said, we want to start a theater in New York. Uh, yeah. And I pitched them this idea, which was fairly uh, revolutionary at the time, um, or at least different. Uh, I pitched them the idea, let's start a theater, but it's completely devoted to comedy. Completely yeah, devoted to comedy. We're going to do plays, but we're also going to do stand-up and, and, and uh, sketch comedy, and we'll have an improv group. And so uh, we, we started Manhattan Punchline. And a lot of great people came out of Punchline, like David Crane, who did a little thing called Friends, and um, Peter Tolan, who went on to The Larry Sanders Show, um, and uh, uh, Nathan Lane performed at our theater, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Howard Corder, who is now, you know, wrote on uh, Boardwalk Empire. So a lot of great people, a lot of great people. Um, I did that for about uh, a dozen, 13 years. And then I came to California and uh, I got involved in a couple of different producing projects and uh, worked with these managers. And then some guy came up to me and said, I work with Robert McKee and I think you could do for your field for comedy what he does for story and i went really okay i i had always taught actors before but i had never i had never taught uh taught writers 
per se. Uh, although I, I uh, that's actually not true. I did teach a writing course at NYU uh, for about mm. seven years, uh, a semester on comic playwriting. Um, so I had all these ideas and theories that I had worked out for performers, and I tried to figure out, well, how does it apply to uh, to writers? And out of that uh, came this course, the Comedy Intensive, that we've now done around the world. And out of that, um, a mere 35 years after my friend Brad Bellamy said, you should write this stuff into a book. Uh, a mere 35 years after that, um, a short, short 35 years, uh, yeah. um, or maybe, maybe it actually was, you know, 85 to, uh, so it's actually 28 years, I'm exaggerating, 28 years. Um, I, I, then we, we uh, published, uh, with Michael Weesey produ uh, Productions, we published The Hidden Tools of Comedy, and, mm. um, and then a couple of years after that, we did uh, The Comic Hero's Journey, which is which is looking at the, uh, the problems of story structure specifically for comedy films. Okay. And now I'm, I'm working on a new book very, very slowly. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, very, you know, I'm inching along. I, I want to write a book on, on uh, uh, sitcom, uh, sitcom structure. Ah, but, nice. But going very slowly right now. Please finish that soon. I would like to read that. It's not going to be any time <laughs> soon. Not going to be any time soon. Shoot, maybe after my career, <laughs> or lack of. Maybe, maybe by career. the time that you are you are famous and running writing work, <laughs> I'll come to you uh, for some of the research because I, there we go. <laughs> as, as, as as I've admitted, having taken almost 30 years to write yeah. comedy, uh, I am a very, very, very slow writer. If you get this done in 15, then we're good. You know, oh, maybe okay. we're good. I, I, will, I will do my best. <laughs> so uh, I do remember like in the book, in the Manhattan punch punchline, um, you noticed something like pretty intriguing that there were um, on one night, like the same joke got a lot of laughs, but the next night the same joke got a lot less laughs. And I think or that was- no, Or no laughs. Uh, or no laughs, yeah. And I think that was when uh, you wrote in the book that it was like kind of a defining moment in your career because you realized that that there are a lot of these, you know, intangibles playing into this, um, either to get, a, to get a laugh or to not get a laugh. And so- Well, like, I, what was, I, I realized one of the things I realized was that when the, when the actors would come off stage, because it was a small off off Broadway theater, I was there every mm. time, you know, we didn't have money for staff. I was there every night. I, I took the tickets. I ran the elevator. We were in a building with oh, wow. an annual elevator. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, and I, and I realized that when they came off stage and said, what a terrible audience, that that yeah. was my experience, that my experience was I was watching it and noticing that they weren't getting their laughs and that something different was happening on stage. That the, the mm. difference wasn't only in the audience, although mm. a, a slow audience or a quiet audience will affect a performance, but something, something was happening. Mm. And, and people would lose laughs for, for weeks at a time. And I would look and I would say, well, I think that's because they're doing something differently. So then it was a long process of trying to figure out, well, what is that difference? What is that difference? Um, 
And, and over the course of years, we came up with these, what we call the hidden tools, where, mm-hmm. where I, tried to, I, I tried to define what is performance comedy as opposed to uh, prose, com- prose humor, as opposed to uh, you know, some witty essayist writing witticisms uh, and mm-hmm. you know, people going, oh, 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 isn't that clever? And, uh, so I was, but because performance comedy, whether it's a, a play or, or a script or a TV show or, or a movie, performance comedy is different. So yeah. it, it took a long time to try to figure out what those differences were. And the first thing um, that, I, that I kind of came to was the fact that, um, that there was something different happening in a comedic script between actors than in a dramatic script between actors. Mm. And, and that's where, that's, that's the first uh, thought of straight line, wavy line that I had, that, that I was watching this W.C. Fields film, and it's, I forget the name of the film, it could have been The Bank Dick, um, but he's playing a, a game of pool. And somebody says, uh, uh, is this is this uh, gambling or is this a sport? He says, "Not the way I do it," and he's he's doing all this stuff and he's he's prattling on and he's dropping wisecracks. And the people, there's this one guy I remember. He's just standing stock still, not noticing anything. And mm-hmm. I remember back to my bad acting days um, in my acting classes. How everybody noticed everything everything was you know young actors and actresses there you know everything that happens is affecting them i thought okay something something's happening here that that people just take for granted that that means something and and so the idea that 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 in a uh in a scene there's one person who's in focus who's kind of seeing things and everybody else is kind of has blinders on um, yeah, uh, and which is the idea between straight line, wavy line that there was some that the person who you care about is struggling with a problem that they can't solve because they're a non-hero, uh, whereas the other people are kind of blind to it. They're either mm-hmm. creating the problem or they're blind to the problem, and, and that's the street starts from there. Yeah, and so the wavy the wavy line that you're saying is the uh, the character who or the anti-hero who. Uh, doesn't realize his faults, but still continues on to like still presses on to try right. to accomplish his approach. right. Uh, and and uh, I, you know, I, I just they're the person who's struggling. That that um, they they have to have a, a problem with it, uh, and they yeah. it's a problem that they can't solve, but that they accept. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that that you learn from um, from improv. Uh, from Viola Spolin and Keith Johnstone, uh, UCB, just the idea of accept offers. So the comic, the comic hero accepts an offer. Um, somebody, somebody says, uh, you've got to do this ridiculous thing, but uh, the uh, dramatic guy would say, why, why would I have to? That's stupid. Yeah. Whereas the comic hero goes, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it my best shot, even though he's got no skills to do it. And that, yeah, 
and that gives that like brings up my next point actually um and this is what i found like very revolutionary in your uh your book is your you, your equation that you wrote uh, i don't know you would you want me to say it or do you want to say sure, it? sure go ahead the uh that comedy is about an ordinary guy or gal struggling against insurmountable odds without many of the required skills and tools with which to win yet never giving up hope like for me that was incredible uh because it obviously i mean you can you can really put a story behind like in that within that uh like an entire script within that um just and basically following what you have also put in the book that the um that the hero the anti-hero is trying to is going for something always like struggling to get something to achieve a goal and that that goal behind that goal is truth um that there is no like yes you can punch up a script but really what the only thing that really works is like is this theory or this uh equation uh and like the truthfulness behind it if that right. i'm i'm probably no no yes. no it's uh, I, I, uh i'm i'm just going to correct you on one thing i okay the, the, you know the the term anti-hero uh is is a very well-known term that's not the term that i'm using uh an anti-hero okay. is like walter white in breaking uh, bad where he's yeah, yeah he's nominally a villain but you still follow him and care for him uh, okay. in, in my terminology, a non-hero is simply somebody who doesn't uh, have doesn't have the the skills of, say, a um, a Charles Bronson in in uh, Death Wish or or yeah. uh, or Bruce Willis in Die Hard. I mean, mm. you know, in in Die Hard, he's fighting a whole crew of international terrorist thieves. He's, he has no shoes, no shoes on. He walks over glass, his feet are bleeding, and yet he still manages to kill everybody, save the day, save his wife. If I cut, if I had one sliver of glass in the bottom of my foot, I'm out. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're gonna kill everybody. I can't, I have a, you know, it hurts, I need to. You know, it, there'd be no way that I'd be able to to do what he does. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so a non-hero is the guy. I mean, uh, put uh, Charles Bronson. I always, you know, I I show my age uh, by using all these old references. Um, but Charles Bronson is of a time in which somebody could do action films and have no sense of humor involved. That that's Charles Bronson. Uh, so put Charles Bronson in a room with 12 guys with guns. Who wins? Charles Bronson, because he's, Every time. he's got all the skills. He's a great shot. He's a great strategist. He can withstand pain. You know, shoot him in the forehead. He slaps a Band-Aid on. He keeps on going. <laughs> but he shoots you in the shoulder. You're out for the fight. Charles Bronson yeah. is going to win because he's got the chops. Mm. Put Billy Crystal in a room with 12 guys with guns. Who wins? I, you know... It's like, <laughs> you're already laughing. I haven't written one line of dialogue. I haven't written one joke. But yet yeah. the idea of this hapless guy trying to do something impossible and yet not giving up. You know, he'll go, yeah. hey, don't shoot, don't shoot me. I'm, I'm a bleeder. It'll ruin the rug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, like, a lot of these characters are based off... Um, 
archetypes, characters who have been developed right. uh, for hundreds of years. And so I, I, I'm still getting into this. I don't know how many characters there are, but there are quite a few. And I mean, amazingly there as, enough- There were as many archetypical characters in a Commedia dell'arte troupe as there were actors in the Commedia dell'arte troupe. I mean, if you had, uh, if you had 15 actors in the troupe, there'd be 15 characters. 15 yeah. unique separate characters with their own masks and their own costumes. Uh, and everybody would have to be involved in, 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 the, in the scenario, in, in, doing, in doing the little commedias. And, you know, you, there'd, mm. be no, there'd be no, no such thing as a three character play if you had 15, mm. 15, 15 actors in the troupe. You have to uh, use 15. Yeah, because that's, that's what it would be like. Um, you know, a circus in which, well, some of the clowns aren't going to work today because they don't, you know, people don't need to hear those jokes. No, everybody in the circus <laughs> does the performance. Everybody in the commedia was in, was in the story. Yeah. And so, like, like, amazingly enough, like, these characters have not gotten old. I, like, every time, like, I just watched a little YouTube video yesterday and saying, like, um, uh, and it was saying just basically how these characters are continually used, but, like, um, that's not changing. What's changing is like how they're used in like right. uh, in different videos. Yeah. And so I guess, um, you know, if you would give any advice to a script writer or, um, you know, a theater writer, like, I guess it's, uh, what advice would you give? Okay. Like, is uh, it the, the reimagining? The first, the first advice I would give is uh, unless you're a gifted joke writer, don't worry about jokes. I mean, yeah. the, the, the biggest problem in, in spec scripts are the mm. bad jokes. Uh, if you simply cut out <laughs> all the jokes, the, the times that people stop the action in, or, in order to say something funny or witty, um, that would solve a lot of problems. Just tell the story. Focus on the character as opposed to the funny things that they're saying. It, and if you have a character that you want to have say funny things, it's got to be a character who sees the world in a particular way. So, so hmm. worry more about how your character sees the world and sees other, other characters than how you see the world and how you see other characters. Um, I forget who said it, but someone once said that we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. And so that's, that, that works well for working on character. Uh, the other thing, the other thing I would say is that uh, you don't have to, you don't have to be a, a scholar of, of Renaissance theater to understand mm. archetypes. I mean, the archetypes are there, the fool, you know, the, the grouchy old man, um, the, uh, the dim young lover, uh, mm. the, uh, the academic gas bag. These are all, classic or typical characters in the Commedia, but they're also characters out there. And also the Commedia didn't just take archetypes from, from like ancient Greek times. They took archetypes from people that were around them. Uh, mm -hmm. There was okay. a, uh, a university in Bologna. And so the Commedia uh, created this character called Il Dottore in which uh, they made fun of all these academic uh, idiots who, you know, walked around uh, and, and pontificated, but made no, you know, had no common sense. Uh, <laughs> parts, of, parts of Italy were uh, occupied by Spain, so they created this character called Il Capitano. Uh, 
um, uh, the cowardly soldier, the you know, braggart who fled at the first sound of a shot. And you see it all the time in American uh, comedy too. Uh, in, the set, in the late 60s and 70s, all of a sudden you had, uh, you, you saw a, a lot of uh, valley girls or, or, or mm. you know, kind of hippie girls. Uh, there's, um, there's a great uh, example of that in Steve Martin's L.A. story where, um, okay. uh, oh, you know, the actress who's in Sex and the City, what's, you know, she played Carrie, uh, Sarah Jessica oh. Parker, yeah, yeah. Played, played this classic character, this ditzy blonde, and we've had ditzy blondes around since the Renaissance time, but it was <laughs> that specific kind of ditzy, uh, Californian, uh, uh, not very well-read, not very literate, but very innocent and very, very bubbly uh, character. Yeah. So, so you, you, you use characters that have been around, but also make use of characters that you know. Hmm. Borrow, borrow, borrow as much from who you know and what you know as anything else. Uh, a great example of that is uh, Archie Bunker. Um, all in the Family is an adaptation of a British sitcom, Till Death Us Do Part, in which okay. uh, an old uh, conservative was always butting heads with his uh, young uh, socialist son-in-law. That's, hmm. that's the setup of, uh, of All in the Family, right? Except yeah. Archie Bunker wasn't patterned on uh, Alf, I think, believe the actors, the character's name in the British sitcom was Alf Landon or something like that. Uh, he wasn't patterned on that guy. He was patterned on Norman Lear's father. One of the hmm. first, you know, one of the, in one of the first episodes, uh, you know, uh, Archie turns to Meathead and says, you're one of the laziest white men I've ever met. And that's exactly what Norman Lear's father called Norman. Oh, wow. And Norman Lear's father used to turn to his wife and say, listen, dingbat, he just, <laughs> he just stole it um, completely and, and used That's crazy. So, so there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things uh, in terms of don't be afraid to steal, but when you steal, be clever about it. But just yeah. know that it's okay to steal. It's not okay wow, to see, that's, It's okay to yeah. steal. Picasso said... Good artists create, but great artists steal. Um, wow! And and so, uh, you just you you're not doing anything new. You're you're refurbishing some idea that's been around for two or three hundred years or, or longer, but, yeah. but just give it your own sensibility. And the other thing to remember is in is in stealing uh, is the idea that all fiction is autobiography. Just telling your own story anyway. No, yeah. matter, no matter how you gussy it up, it's your own story. Uh, so that when you're, when you're writing something, don't try, to, don't try to outthink what will make other people laugh as much as where am I in this story? Where, you know, where is my, my personal take on this? What, what do I care about? What do I know? What do I believe? And, and make that the story. And, and, and if you're going to make fun of somebody, start with yourself. Oh, that's good. There's, there's a great, there's a great uh, story about 
the development of 500 Days of Summer. 500 Days of Summer began as this revenge piece. One, you know, there, there were these two writers uh, working mm. on it, and one of the writers had been dumped by this girl. And that was the genesis of 500 Days of Summer, that it was going to be a revenge hit piece on this terrible girl that led him along and then broke his heart and blah, 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 blah. And they're working on it, and they're, they're going through draft after draft. And finally, after, after a number of drafts, his co-writer turned to him and says, says, the hell with the girl. Let her write her own movie. What, you know, what's your part in this? How were how you an asshole there? Where, where were you, the, you know, the, the dipstick? And so yeah. that's, when, that's when the entire project turned around, when it stopped being focused on how horrible this girl was and started focusing on how uh, the character that uh, eventually Joseph Gordon-Levitt played, how he was wrong, that he put all his eggs in the wrong basket, that, you know, she was the girl of his dreams, but unfortunately she was dreaming about somebody else. <laughs> and that, that it, was, it was his lesson to learn, not that, uh, not that she had done something wrong. Yeah. See, and yeah, that's like going back like a, uh the truth, like writing, writing out the truth, like writing out your own story. That just seems to be such a simple idea, but like, you know, with 500 Days of Summer, but there's so many other movies that have been used just by, um, by, by the writers, like sticking to what they know. I think, I think in your book, you also wrote that um, a lot of the writers on the show, Everybody Loves Raymond, like they brought what they knew about uh, like what happened to them, to the characters and everything. Yeah, I mean, so they, at a certain point, they know, they, you know, Ray Romano's stand-up career is only, has only so much material. You know, at a certain yeah. point, they've run out of his material. And so all they have was, what's your family like? And they yeah. would come in on Monday, and they would say, this is what happened to me. Uh, and it would become an episode. Mm. And, and it, isn't it true that Ray's stepbrother, like his, uh, the real life stepbrother that the, the character was based off, did actually like touch food to his chin before he ate it, some sort of like weird quirk? I, I'm not sure, but, it, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. That, that, that basically they're, they're, they're stealing as yeah. much as possible. Um, you know, only uh, they're not copying other people's jokes. Yeah. Uh, See, that's, I, that's kind of a relief. It should be a relief for a lot of people that you don't have to worry about writing, sitting down and writing jokes because that's damn difficult. Like writing a joke is really, really Some people hard. are really good at it. Some yeah. people are excellent at writing jokes, but the people who make the big bucks in, in television, at least, are the people who write characters and story. The people mm. who write jokes are not, are not being paid the millions of dollars. So you, when you say like, do not write a joke, joke in your script, like the, let the character take you on this journey that they would, you know, uh, this like truthful journey. I mean, what if you, at, at the end of your script, you realize, well, this isn't funny. You know, I think that's when people start punching up is maybe when they start getting in, into trouble with the, like they start kind of deconstructing their- Kind of, like, what, what advice? it kind of depends on how funny you think it needs to be. I mean, um, Listen, you, you can take a look at a lot of sitcoms and a lot of movies that you think are annoying, 
And somebody thought, well, this is funny, or this will be funny. Uh, you know, so uh, there's no rule that says you have to have 3.2 jokes per page. What you have to okay. have is, is characters that people can recognize in situations that they recognize, and then enough complications whereby you make the audience think, well, what would I do there? Oh, look, look what Kramer's doing. That's, that's ridiculous. That's hysterical. I mean, we all know people who are ridiculous. Just make them the characters in your, in your, in your narrative. Okay. So I, yeah, I guess it does start with uh, like picking the correct characters and then and letting them go on their It also starts journey. with, if it's a movie, it starts with having a really compelling comic idea. Yeah. Something that almost writes itself. You know, a guy wakes up it's the same day over and over again. Well, what happens mm. then? And yeah. so you, you, st you stop trying to figure out what, what should I do now? And you just start asking yourself, what would, what would the character do? Hmm. Okay, there, there they are. They're, they're in, they're, they're actors filming a, Viet, a Vietnam movie and their director has just stepped on a landmine and blown himself up uh, in Tropic Thunder. And, yeah. <laughs> and well, what, gee, I, I wonder what they do now. I mean, well, hmm. well, maybe the 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 uh, the sane one, the logical one, uh, Jay Baruchel would go, "Oh my God, look what happened!" But the idiot, played by Ben Stiller, would go, "It's just a special effect." You know, he picks up the head with the, with the viscera and the spine still uh, connected. Yeah. Look, it's special effect. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so oh so I guess in that situation I need. I need uh, an idiot. I need somebody who's a voice of reason. Um, mm. I need, you know, and then you start figuring out, well, who do I need in this, uh, in this scenario, in this narrative? Who's going to help me tell this story? Who's going to generate action? Um, uh, yeah. One of the things that I do is uh, I, uh, I'm doing a, a remote uh, comedy workshop with uh, this uh, yeah. this screenwriting school in 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 Ukraine, and oh, we're going cool. over we're going over comic premises, and, and we're talking about well, if this is your idea, you know what you're going to need here. You're going to need if these three grandmothers are going to have to try to figure out a way to replace their pension by doing some some outlandish activity. They're going to become bootleggers or something. Well, yeah. you're probably going to need some. You're going to need a trickster character. Maybe it's the nephew. It's the grandchild of one of them. Somebody who, since they have no experience in being criminals, somebody who's going to think outside the box. And that so that means well, you're going to need a trickster character. And then mm -hmm. if there's a trickster character, maybe there's a girl because that's where the romantic. Um, uh, subplot's going to be, or maybe there's an older, you know, so you, so you start mm. telling stories and figuring out, well, who do I need in this, in this narrative to tell that story, which mm. brings us back to, well, what's the story about? Mm. Because ultimately, especially, especially 
in both television and in film, it's about theme. Because it's not just putting silly characters in a silly situation and then watch the hilarity. It's all about theme. If you're watching The Connors, you're, you're watching a, a, a show about how are we trying to get ahead in America in which we're all behind. Mm. The best theme is expressed as a question that you're spending your time trying to answer. Um, in, in, in the movie Big with Tom Hanks, the yeah. theme is what's the connection between childhood and adulthood? Because that's what happens to him, right? He's a, he's a child who makes a wish on a fortune telling machine. He becomes, uh, you know, a, uh, a 30 year old man. Yeah. So, so there he is, he's waiting to figure out where the fortune telling machine is going to end up to try to get back to being a kid. He's got time on his hands. He spends it at uh, this toy store in New York, FAO Schwartz, which is now closed. Uh, mm. And so he meets this guy who offers him a job and that's act two, right? Mm. Well, why didn't he meet a guy who runs a gas station or, mm. or a bank? or a candy store, because a gas station, a bank, and a candy store have, have well, maybe a candy store, but let's say, uh, let's, yeah. let's say uh, uh, a, a, a dentist's office. Yeah. Because Very... a, a gas station, a bank, and a dentist's office have, have little to nothing to do with exploring the theme of the connection between childhood and adulthood. So who does he meet? He yeah. meets, a guy who runs a toy company. Perfect. Because a toy pretty, yeah. company is an adult enterprise run for the benefit of kids who are going to be, who are going to have their parents who are adults buy them toys. Yeah. Perfect. That is perfect. So, so that your choices are, are really made by considering almost first and foremost theme. What's it, what's yeah. it really about? What's the meaning? And the same thing with sitcoms. Uh, Friends, even though Friends on the surface is about these six attractives, you know, some some of them are stupid or ditzy, uh, some of them are, are needy or, or dorky, uh, some of them are just you know vain, some of them are pushy. Okay, they're all six attractive people living in the biggest New York apartment ever in the history <laughs> of the world. That's true. Uh, and but but no, but but as as David Crane, uh, who got his start at Punchline, by the way, uh, or got one of his starts at Punchline, uh, as David oh, wow. Crane uh, uh, says, Friends was about the time in which your friends are your family, meaning that, that every episode is really about how do you negotiate that unknown territory between childhood and adulthood. Every episode is about that. Every wow. episode is about trying to figure out your way from college to having a family. And they're all, they all don't know how to do it. And it starts with uh, Rachel running away on the day of her wedding because she's not ready to join that adult world yet. So, uh, it's, so, it's so, so, all, so all those episodes are about that theme and they're about the history of the relationship between the characters. It's not mm -hmm. just, and that's the other thing that Commedia teaches us, it's not just silly characters it's the relationship characters have and the history that they have everything in everybody loves raymond is all about who those guys were 30 years ago 
when mm. when they were you know when they were ten and eight, and and the 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 fights and the disputes they had when they were ten are still alive in their lives today. Mm. You never did this. You always did that, which is <laughs> which is much richer than why don't you want to eat that soup, which is yeah. that kind of bad sitcom writing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, honestly, when you, uh, you're putting this very, so simply, it's just like, kind of like, wow, how, how can you miss this? You know, but I guess, well, yeah, stories don't need to be complicated. Listen, as, as an actor and as a, and as a director, I've missed it plenty. That's why, that's why I started <laughs> to wonder about how the hell does this stuff work? Yeah. So uh, you said you're teaching remotely uh, students in the I, UK. I, I had a, a, a workshop in London that, that was supposed to be happening this past weekend. We had to cancel that. I'm yeah. supposed to be teaching in New York in September, and every day it looks less uh. and less likely. You know, maybe I, I, right now I'm going to wait till like July 1st. I'm supposed to be teaching mm. in the beginning of September. But uh, so so what's what's <laughs> happening is now now we have this we have Zoom yeah so, uh, so what are you teaching in like with who if you don't mind me asking if that's okay uh, it's uh, a group of people um, it's this guy who runs this I don't know what the how you say it in Ukrainian oh. <laughs> but it's the Screenwriting School UA it's uh, okay it's uh, uh, basically writers and producers and actors and directors in, in Kiev, and we're all connecting remotely. And basically I've given them uh, a smattering, it's, it's uh, nine hours over, over the course of four sessions. So basically I've given them a smattering of the hidden tools of comedy and a little bit of the comic hero's journey. And then basically we're talking about, okay, you've got this idea well, here the here's the problem. Here, here's the vent. Here's the potential. Here, here are the pitfalls. And who are the characters? And and asking them. Well, if you if you're writing about um, a, a guy who wants to bring um, the wild, he's in a circus. But his uncle, uh, I I hope I'm not ruining somebody's great movie idea. Uh, his uncle, in his uncle's will, he's got to bring all the cannibals back to the wild. Um, and, uh, and my question to her was, was, well, why? I mean, uh, and besides it being kind of a silly idea, um, what do you care? See, to me, that's a really important question. What do you care? Where's your interest? Where's your passion? What, what's the story you really want to tell? A lot of times when I read a, a script, uh, especially if it's a long form, you know, like a, a, a 90 page, 110 page movie. Uh, oftentimes there'll be three or four or five different premises. And one of the, oh, things, wow. one of the things that I'll, I'll say when I work with the writers, I'll say, imagine your script is a burning building. It's on fire and you can only save one element. What's the most important element? What's the one element you've got to save? Otherwise the whole thing isn't worth it. And then hmm. when they say, well, I'm going to save the, uh, the zoo. So, so I would say, well, then focus on that. What do, you, what do you care? Do you think that animals should not be locked up? Well, what's the best way? What's, what's the best way to, to tell that story 
with a comic premise, given that a comic premise is an impossible or improbable uh, situation that could never happen or probably could never happen. But since it does happen, makes you answer the question, what would happen then? So, so who knows, maybe, maybe in, in, in rethinking the story, she'll think about the guy wakes up and it's all the people in cages. And it's the animals just kind of padding around going, whoa, look at that guy. How would you, I mean, so if that's what you want to talk about, what's the best way to get into that? What's the best yeah. way to explore that? Ooh, that's a lot to take in. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, we've already gone through a lot of my questions that I wrote down just, you know, um, I was going to ask if you do judge scripts and uh, I, do, I, I do, I do script consultations. Uh, I, I've worked, I worked on um, treatments, log lines, full, full drafts, tenth uh, drafts, polishes. Um, so you've so, done yeah. it all. <laughs> and you said like, you said that the most common I, I should mention that people can get in touch with me through my website. Yeah. KaplanComedy.com. Uh, and my email address is steve, steve at kaplancomedy.com. And my Twitter handle is at skcomedy. There we go. <laughs> One of the things that I did when I was a theater director was I did a lot of dramaturgy, working with writers to try to uh, help them achieve their vision. And I continue mm. to do that. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, Steve, is there anything else you would want to tell I honestly this is it's like really wonderful for me so I know a lot of people are going to get well all 30 people who view my channel are going to get well I, I I look forward to all 30 people joining our, our <laughs> mailing list at kaplancomedy.com um cool. no uh just uh you know hopefully stay safe you know, yeah stay sheltered stay distant um this will this will soon be over hopefully and, uh, you know, and we'll all come out of it and we'll have our uh, quarantine beards and, and we'll, all, we'll all be okay. Thank you very much. I hope you had a good time. And honestly, this was uh, amazing for me. Incredible uh, experience. Let me know when you post it. Cool. I will. I will. All okay, right, thanks, Steve. Have a great a day. Cheers. Stay safe. Stay inside. Thank you. You too. Okay, bye. <laughs>